Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Glad to have you with us as we are somewhat coming out of the other side of sheltering in place and pandemic. And I know we, we've already done at least one episode, Bob, that we called Dealing with the COVID Crazies, where we just kind of, I think, rambled. And so I thought, Bob, it might be a good idea to bring somebody on here that actually knows what they're talking about. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea, Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, I've, ha- I've been talking with pastor friends and, and they have said things like, you know, I didn't even realize how much this was impacting me. Or I, I talked with a guy yesterday who said that, he was feeling guilty that he's kind of down about everything because he feels like he shouldn't feel down. His income hasn't been impacted yet, and nobody that he knows has really had COVID in a significant way or significant health struggles, but it still just impacted him more than he anticipated. Today, we've got a good friend of mine from seminary, Dr. James Hawkins, who has a great podcast. Uh, James, if you would introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your podcast so we can hear that with others. Yeah, my name is Dr. James Hawkins. I've been married to my wife, Nicola, going on 16 years, going on 17. And we are the co-host of the podcast called A More Excellent Way. And you can find that on on your iTunes or Apple, Spotify, all that stuff. Yes, that's a little bit about me there. I am a licensed counselor and I work here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. and We've got five beautiful girls. I just want to pause and say, whoop, pig, suey. Can I do that, Jimbo? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can do that, man. You can do that. See? Okay. You All can right. do it. And we can ask James to talk to us about uh, Granger's delusion of delusion, right? Was- <laughs> <laughs> oh, delusion, I, I love the optimism of Northwest Arkansas. I mean, every year it's possible. Well, that Why we're not us, have baby? A- it's awful. Well, James, we'd love just to hear kind of your, from your perspective, is it okay? Is it acceptable to kind of not be fully right emotionally right now as a pastor? I mean, it, it, I think most of us feel a little bit off right now. Man, that, Jimbo, that's a great question. Is it okay to feel emotionally off? And the answer is 100% equivocally and professionally, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're in the time where it's so unsure. It's hard to nail down. So the way God has wired us is our emotions are signals from our body to tell us, to help us understand and respond to the world around us. Mm. And so right now we're getting so many confusing signals, right? From there's this pandemic that can take your life or the life of loved ones to there's also this other side where it's like that. So that's that concern. You could lose financial income. You as pastors. So the part that really gets unique about pastors is, Pastors, if they really are shepherds of the flock, they also feel the emotional turmoil of the people they lead. So not only do pastors have to be concerned about themselves, but they also carry an emotional load of the people they lead. With this pandemic, so there's all the concern and the heaviness and the fear and the uncertainty that your body doesn't know how to, that you don't really know how to respond to. But then there's also this other side, Jimbo, that many people don't talk about with COVID. There's also this part where there are some good things that happen. There are some people who have been able to slow down and to relax in ways that they've never been able to. They've gotten to make meaningful connection with their family because they have had to be at home with each other. That's also brought out some pain and concerns too. So I just want to uh, validate both of those experiences. 
That's why it can be so confusing. That's why you might not feel okay. So it was like maybe early on in the COVID crisis, I want to tell this quick story. This pastor friend did call me and he's like, James, I'm sitting in my car and I feel like I've lost control of my body. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just had to go and talk to some people that I work with and let them know that I don't know how we'll be able to pay them and that they were going to have to put them on furlough. And then I'm trying to hurry up and go stock up for my family because we've been put on mandatory lockdown. And I've been holding all this energy back and I've been holding all this back to be there for everybody else. And I literally feel like my body has just gone crazy and I'm shutting down. Mm. And so I had to take a few minutes with him and just kind of talk him through that and to normalize that and say, to make sense, you're worried about your family. You're worried about your congregation members. You feel bad. You, as a pastor, who you are, you're used to being the person who's trained to kind of give answers and to give clarity and to give hope. And here you are, you're stuck. You don't even know what to tell these people. You don't even know what's coming and what's happening here. And any words of comfort that you try and offer them, it just seems to fall short of the moment right now. And so it makes sense that this is so hard. And that's what many pastors are carrying in them. James, you've given us some really good detail in that illustration, that story about some examples of warning signs that a pastor is struggling. What are some additional things that a pastor would need to pay attention to that might show that he's in a difficult spot and needs to reach out for assistance? No, that's a beautiful question. I want even I'm gonna take that question back a couple steps. So this is one why I'm so thankful for you doing what you're doing. I remember early in my seminary career getting a hold to the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Shazero. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I resonated with it because ministry work, you are on the front lines of spiritual activity and warfare. You are on the front lines of dealing with trauma and pain. But what I found is not many pastors take time to deal with that own pain and how they deal with their own inner world very well. They get trained theologically, they get trained in church administration, but many times their inner worlds are in chaos and they don't know what to do with it. And so what ends up happening for many pastors, this is, and this is not like something I've researched out all the way, but many of the pastors, I, I kind of feel like I've been around, I kind of, they kind of fall into this category where they are more of emotional withdrawers. And what I mean by that is when there's kind of conflict or tension in their own inner world, what they tend to do is they stuff and suppress their own emotion. Mm-hmm. Or they try and kind of exit out of the emotional experience and kind of like, I only want to stay in the cognitive realm because mm-hmm. that emotion part, I don't know what to do with it. I can't, I can't apply a theological kind of treaties to it. I can't just explain it away with some scripture verse. Like, I don't know how, what it is to actually sit and be with my feelings. And so they, they emotionally exit out. And then they transfer that also into ministry is that they can be emotionally avoidant. So the more if ministry naturally in and of itself, the reason why pastors matter so much is pastors shepherd in times of distress. <laughs> I know we all want to come into pastoring for the happy, the great moments. But many times I, I think a good part of pastoral ministry is being with people in hard emotional spaces. Mm. So if I have to be in people in the hard emotional spaces and the only move I know in my hard emotional spaces is to be avoidant, what happens is, is you begin to have this buildup of emotion. And so moments like COVID, what it does is it doesn't really, it, 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 it adds to, but it also exposes all of the things that were already there. And so the pastor will begin to notice it by Definitely, I've seen this in COVID and I've even felt it. Extreme fatigue and inability to lay down and rest. 
short irritability to where they're on edge with their wife, with their kids, with other members, you'll find that they can't sit in silence. Like I had one guy where it's, he would even like, he's like, literally when I'm in my truck, I have to have a podcast going or a radio going. Cause if I don't, if it, if it's quiet for too long, James, the pain comes up and I begin to weep uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. So you find them putting a lot of energy into suppression and that's not how we're designed. So when you try and do emotional suppression, what you're actually trying to do, and I'm going to say something that's really hard and you're not going to push it back. You're trying to beat God. Mm. Cause I'm, I'm very hard on this point. Emotions did not come to us after the fall. I don't see anywhere. It's like all of a sudden you fallen. Now you've got an emotion. That's your punishment. You have to feel feelings now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that I think I believe, I believe that emotions have a redemptive aspect to it. I mean, Jonathan Edwards even talks about this is that when we our emotions are oriented right, it really helps us to orient to God and it helps move us away from sin. So our emotions are a good signal about where we're at in relationship with God and with other people. But when we have suppressed them and when we turn them off, then we are actually telling our body, it's I'm not going to do what you do, what God created. I'm not going to pay attention to how God created you to function. I'm going to do this my way. It's not going to work. That's a good perspective. So a lot of us maybe grew up in homes, homes of origin, where strong emotions were negative yeah. things. Or That's right. They, That's right. When they came up, we were told to be quiet, suck it up, boys don't cry, mm-hmm. you know, all those exactly. messages. So how do, right. how do we, if we have a, a, a tendency to suppress or ignore, how do we take that painful walk down the trail to start digging some of that up to realize what's happening to us? Yeah, Bob, I love that question, man. I really do. I'm going to get to that. So, so let me even make space for it. I know I can come so hard on that part and I need to be careful because I don't want to contribute to even why people be, become emotionally avoidant. There's good reasons why people are emotionally avoidant. There's good reasons why many, really it comes to many men that are emotionally avoidant. It's because what I found for many men is when they took the risk and they allowed their vulnerability to come out, when they allowed their pain to come out, they got the message that you just mentioned, Bob. So here I am in a place of need. My pain comes out or I express my need. And then I'm met with, don't do that. We don't do that. Boys don't do that. Men don't do that. What that does is that shames me that says there's something, there's something functionally wrong about you here. Don't do that. So there's a part of you that's like, that's telling you this, especially when you're a child. Children, I mean, you know, I've had the, the, the pleasure of meeting some of Jimbo's kids when they were little. You know, you never had to teach them to reach for their father or their mother and their pain. They just do it because that's how God created us to be. That's why God, Jesus said, accept the kingdom of heaven as a little child you won't enter in because children just are built to trust to reach out towards caregivers in their time of pain. So they're doing what God made them to do. But then when they do what God made them to do, and then we shame them or punish them for it, then they begin to say, wait, what's something's wrong with me? That's not a safe thing to do. So if I'm in pain and I reach out and I get a pain message back, they learn real quickly, that's not a safe thing to do. And then especially for what I see for many pastors, like they have this kind of compliance about them. They want to do the right thing. They want to make their father proud or their mother proud. So they take on this message of, oh, okay. So to be a good boy or to be a good man is I don't have, I don't have this vulnerability. I don't have this weakness. I don't let that show. So I'll do a good job and I'll put it away. So I just want to validate this. There's good reasons. And what they've done is when they keep putting those things away, what they also rob, what we lose in that is we also lose the ability to be comforted, even by God. 
when we can't go into our places of pain and invite God into it, we lose the ability to really take in comfort. But how do I do the work of now beginning to open this space up? I think some of it is, is they have to learn to tune into their inner world. And so I, the classic example I go to with this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here Jesus is in very nature, God, at the moment that he has been born to come to. He's in the garden. And I love how they set up the garden scene for, for Jesus. He takes his disciples with him to go to the garden. In other words, Jesus is like, this is my critical moment. I don't want to be alone. I need to be surrounded with these people that have been in this experience with me, that can share in it with me. But then he takes three of them and says, come over here with me and join me in prayer. Like, I really, please stay awake. Don't leave me alone. Jesus is making his vulnerability and his need explicitly clear. At this moment, when I am under the strongest and heaviest moment in my ministry, I do not need to be, I don't need to be isolated and alone. But how many times as men and in pastoring, that's the very thing we go to when we're at our deepest, hardest moment. We go be by ourselves. Jesus didn't even do that. But to take that, that place even further, when Jesus goes away and he prays, listen to the vulnerability of how he starts that off. He's like, Father, this cup is heavy. If it is possible, could you take it from me? But if not, let your will be done. Mm. I'm so glad Jesus prayed that prayer out loud for us. He admitted that even though this is the moment I know that I was destined for since the foundation of the world, it's heavy, God, and I need some help. It's overwhelming. But even in the midst of it being overwhelming, what I need you to do, God, is I just need some reassurance from you that if it is possible to give another way that you would do it, but nevertheless, your will is enough to help keep me going. That's a good word. I think about in the garden, I, I think about this idea of rest and vulnerability and a passage that has always been great comfort to me is in John 15, where he says, mm -hmm. abide in me and in my word, and you will bear much fruit in doing a word study on that word abide. And mm -hmm. that it means, that it means dwell that it means mm -hmm. to, to make your home in. And, and you, you, when you talk about how children instinctively know to reach out to their father, I, I appreciate what you said about to, to not embrace the fact that you have emotions and that those emotions are given to you by God prior to the fall is to push God out of the process and to act like you're in control. And mm -hmm. that, that idea, when I read John 15, I see that really to live the Christian life out well is, is a paradoxical fighting Mm -hmm. against yourself to rest mm -hmm. in God. And, That's right. and so there's this idea of I have to fight against me so that I can rest mm -hmm. and my rest will be in God. A key piece that we've talked about that you already is this idea of seeing the warning signs, just seeing that, I mean, maybe there's some things going on that are, maybe you're just different. Maybe you're more irritable. Maybe you're more tired. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. recognizing that and owning that and finding ways to rest in the Lord what are what some ways, James, that pastors who are husbands and are fathers can make sure that mm -hmm. they don't sacrifice their families okay. to, to this process? Because here's what I would say as a pastor, and I've seen so many other pastors resonate this idea where many mm -hmm. people are saying, man, this COVID stuff has made me slow down and I've just had more time. Mm -hmm. Most pastors I know feel the opposite way of, okay. of yeah. like, man, I feel like uh, I'm I'm having to read medical journals now and figure out <laughs> like like 
what are the like i'm having to read stuff that's that good. i have no idea even how to interpret and i'm having to make decisions that i feel like incredibly unqualified to even make when it comes to reopening oh. church and how we do this but everybody's looking to me and whatever decision i make half my church is going to think i'm being foolish they're either going to think i rushed in too quickly or that i'm buying into to it too much and going too slowly and mm -hmm. and and i'm trying to do pastoral care in a way that is counterintuitive by by staying away from everybody but talking to them on the phone and trying to keep them connected mm -hmm. and and so most pastors i know just feel absolutely exhausted right now and are constantly on zoom calls and mm -hmm. we're we're interacting through screens instead of face to face and so mm -hmm. what are some things that as a husband and as a father and as a pastor I can do and our listeners can mm -hmm. do to make sure that their families and their marriages don't become casualties in collateral damage in, in this process? That's beautiful, man. Even the way you set that up. So I think the first part is to not let them be casualties is you got to take care of yourself. And what I mean by that is you do, going back to what I was talking about earlier, and we'll go over something practical with that later, hopefully, is be attuned to your emotional, your own emotional world. What I mean by that is be honest with yourself about the struggles and the overwhelmingness and the times where, definitely with COVID, where pastors got into this to be effective and to feel almost helpless, to be able to be honest about that, to feel like you're powerless and helpless at times with this process. And so I'm going to give you a, two of them that I think are practical to me, but also I've learned in ministry. So part of it to not let your family become casualties is invite them into the process with you. They are a part of this calling. And so invite them into it explicitly. And what I mean by this is typically when I've worked with pastors and their wives, the wives will say to me, I know he's hurting and I know he's suffering, but he never lets me in. And for many wives, it's, I don't want to take over anything. I just want to know that I'm, I can be a part of it with him. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, they're saying what I see it is, is, is going back to the Garden of Eden for me. Is, it's like, let me be your Ezra Konegno, your Ezra Konegno. Let me be your helper. Mm -hmm. And what many wives is they are so emotionally attuned to their husband, but when their husband is doing that emotional withdrawing and stuffing, and some of it's for good reasons. Many um, pastors I've seen it, they're afraid of, if I do this, it, will it show weakness? Will she feel like I'm not a capable leader if I'm telling her that I'm struggling? But for many wives is I can see you're struggling. And what I actually need you to do is just be able to share that with me so I can be there for you, so I can pray for you, so I can walk with you in this. You know, I'll let you be the pastor, but I want to be able to be your wife. And so that's one way is to invite your wife into it by saying, like, I am struggling to tell her about those different things, not running down your day to day list. Like one thing me and my wife had to learn was she would ask me, like, so tell me about your day. I was like, that's a bad idea. I don't want to rehash my whole day. <laughs> but what yeah. she would do is she changed the question to tell me, how are you doing? Mm. That shifted things. So now it's not about me reliving my day. It's like, I just need to know how my husband is doing. How is your heart doing? What's going through your mind? How is God working on you? Where are you struggling at? So inviting your wife in, because that actually provides a chance for connection. Also, too, this is one thing Nicola just had to talk to me about. And it's even with our kids. She said, James, you need to be, you need to take some of those things that you do so implicitly and make it explicit to our girls. They need to know what you are doing in ministry, what you are doing in life, like, and tell them about how God is working in you and how God is using you and the ways in which you're trying to grow and learn and how you're being pressed right now, but how you're dealing with that. 
I was like, whoa, you think they really want to do that? <laughs> and in some ways I got teenagers and they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, dad. But then as, but at, also at the same time, it's almost like it is like, I can't invite them out to like an old Testament times where, you know, the father would take the kids out to the field to work with them. You know, as pastors, we don't do that all the time, but here, when you do that, you invite them into the process with you. So that way it becomes a shared experience for the family and the family gets to pray together and to serve God together and to support one another through the process. So those are just some ways that I've found for pastors to not let their families become casualties, but also to remember for pastors is your family is your support unit, your, your primary and first support unit, not the church. That might sound like a hard statement, but my safe haven is my family. Mm-hmm. That's why even Joshua said, you know, you choose what you want to do, but that's for me and my house. He's like, I got to take care of me and my house first. I know I'm your leader. I know I'm the leader for y'all, but I got to take care of my house first. And when that pastor's house is in order and he's able to find he and his wife are that place of comfort and support for each other, the way God intended, right? That's why, you know, with Adam and Eve, it's, as, they, as they supported one another and were, or were mutual helpers, that what you found is that allowed them to go out and do God's will. But when that pastor starts trying to get his need for emotional connection or validation met through his congregation, then things are already out of order. That's a dangerous place to be when you're trying to get your emotional needs met through your congregation that should really be being met in your, in your home with your wife and with your children. But also I would tell the pastors, please seek the help of a trusted friend or counselor. Please, every pastor needs a place that's a safe haven for them where they can talk to someone who's not trying to get something from them or they're not have, who they're not having to perform for, that they can just be a person and that that person can see them as someone that it's okay to be vulnerable and to have needs. James, one of the things that has been part of our experience as pastors and our pastor culture is a few prominent pastors recently have uh, passed on mm. at their own hands, right? And the, yeah. the, they were overwhelmed, you know, all sorts of things going on in their lives. We may have some guys that are, you know, they might be getting close to that point where yeah. even, even being able to say that perhaps they've thought about ending their own life is way too big of an admission for them. What, yeah. what could you say to somebody who's in that position and they were to that point where they just, they didn't feel like they had that friend. They didn't have anybody. They, they were kind of at the end of the rope. Is there, is there a word of encouragement yeah, or a word of counsel you might have for them? Oh, for sure. This is one that is even personal to me. So even being a therapist and someone who does pastoral type work a lot, um, I mean, this is something me and my team, we were talking about is this whole perspective of kind of what you're talking about there, Bob, is burnout, right? And so sometimes we think like, oh, avoid burnout, avoid burnout. But I think what I've come to see is in the work that counselors and pastors do, we are directly going into hard emotional places all the time. You know, pastors, even to get up and preach on Sunday morning, it carries a a, a huge spiritual weight to an implication. And of course, the Holy Spirit is faithful to us in that place. But you are going to have, I think it's to accept that there are going to be moments you're going to feel burnout. Now, the question is, is what do you do when that comes up? Mm-hmm. So I want to even offer pastors the word of encouragement is you feeling burnt out. Absolutely. 100% makes sense. Actually, sometimes burnout is a sign of just really the work, the seriousness of the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. The question I offer to pastors is, is now what do you do? 
with yeah, the burnout. Good. And so for many pastors, what you're getting into, Bob, is they feel, I, I think what comes up sometimes is I can feel shame or me feeling burnt out means that there's something bad about me. I'm weak. I'm ineffectual. I'm not trusting God. And that's just not true. Jesus even felt heaviness at moments and times. Elijah, after he defeats the prophets of Baal, he's like, God, I'm the only one I'm by myself. And he's like in this depression, even great people in the Bible felt the moment. And so who are we to think that we can do this work ourselves and not feel the same weight of that heaviness of this ministry? The key is, is how do we reset? So every passion needs a reset. I think some passions need to build into their schedule to have some hard resets, whether it's once a week, they just get away and they go just go to a quiet place. It's once every quarter, they go away for a three day weekend or they, we just all need to have those places of how do I reset and how do I recognize even what we were talking about earlier? How do I recognize when I need a reset mm. and then actually being comfortable to reach for that reset? It's a good perspective. I, I think that um, I haven't thought about burnout in that way. You know, it is, like you said, it is something we're avoiding and we don't want to burn out. And I think there's some, there's some things that we can do to, to manage the load of ministry. Well, but that's right. That's I really appreciate you saying the fact that we're engaged in ministry is going to be exhausting. And there are going to be times where yes. we won't be able to avoid it because that that's relieves right. us of the burden of man. I'm not doing this right. And that's one more sign mm. that I'm not up to this task We're we're not up to it, obviously in our own strength, but in the power, right. the power of the Holy spirit uh, gifted right. by God and then guided by his word, we will navigate the challenges of ministry, but we're still going to feel the weight of it. And we're still going to have, have the fatigue from it. No, that's a good word. I appreciate that, James. Now, this has been excellent. I think just in our last couple of minutes here, James, you had hinted earlier that maybe something practical. Yeah. Uh, what are just some kind of practical next steps or, or something that, you know, a guy listens to this and he's going, no, man, I'm there. Like, I, I'm at that point. Um, and I, I'm, I'm nervous about how much longer I can do this or what the impact on my family or my kids is right now. What, what are some practical things that you could share with us that could be of benefit? Yeah. So the first one, and it's one that's so little, and it's just something that we just need to do on a daily basis. I think the spiritual discipline of, of being attuned to our inner world is so important. And so something that I often teach pastors on this way, I guess there's kind of two ways I talk about it, but I'm going to go with the way from, I learned from a professor at seminary, Dr. Ian Jones, and he goes from the garden of Genesis and the questions that God asked to Adam and Eve after the fall, because these questions are good orienting orientation questions. So the first question, when God shows up in the garden, he asks is Adam, where are you? And that's a connection question. And so we, pastors, I want to, Always be willing to ask yourself, where am I at in relationship to God? Where am I at in relationship to my family? Where am I in relationship to my own self? And where am I in relationship to the people that God has called me to lead? Mm -hmm. And what you're looking for in that one is, are you in a place where you found yourself, you're isolated and distant? Am I distant from God? Am I distant from my family? Am I distant even from my own self? So that's the first question is, Adam, where are you? Where am I at in relationship with God, self, family, in, in my church? Then the second question he asked, he asked them is, after they say, you know, the, the serpent, you, you did, the woman you did, you gave me, she, you know, she's the one that did this, whatever, she told me to eat. He says, you know, who told you? We were naked. That's right. We were naked, and so we hid. And God says, who told you you were naked? 
And that question is about influence. So in other words, I think pastors need to make sure and be careful about who and what is influencing you. And that's not just from a theological way, but even for pastors, sometimes it's what, what is the measure of success you're trying to measure up to? Because sometimes you're, you're living up to a measure that is not what God gave you, but it's, some, it's another standard other than what God gave you. And when you're trying to do something else other than what God gave you, it's going to wear you out. And then also, is it something, some, un, some unresolved hurt from your own past? I've seen this sometimes for pastors where it's, they're trying to live out some place where it's, I just need to prove that I'm good enough or that I have what it takes because I always got this message from my dad that I'll never be good enough or that I'm not enough and I need to prove that I am. Or I need to, I have this other family member who's a doctor, but I'm a pastor and I don't have this big mega church, whatever. What's influencing you to make the moves that you make? And then the last question is, of course, you know, what is this you've done? And taking accountability for the actions that you've chosen. And so even for the pastor, that's not just about you've been caught. So don't even just take this and frame it and you've been caught in sin. But it is also like, what actions are you taking as a pastor? Are you, are you going to your question you were talking about? Am I spending time with my family? Am I checking in with them? Do I know where my wife's heart is at? Am I taking moments of Sabbath rest? Am I, am I attuned to my inner world? Am I, being, am I being honest with God about what's going on with me? Am I being honest with myself about what's even going on with me? Or am I stuffing all of my emotions? Am I engaged in behaviors to try and numb my pain and get away from my emotions? You know, what actions am I taking and being accountable for how am I living my life? Do I find myself trying to numb out by watching Netflix for hours on end because there's something I'm avoiding in my life that I don't want to deal with or whatever it is? So it's, once again, connection influence and action cia right people can remember it that way and that's excellent james this has been golden this is one that i i will go back and listen to probably more than once just to really take in all what you said i think those are really great questions really great advice about don't don't suppress your emotions don't push against what god has designed in you don't isolate from people own and recognize your emotions, recognize the warning signs of burnout, of isolation, of suppression, and then Mm -hmm. schedule in sometimes for a hard reset, find ways to rest with God. And Mm -hmm. then uh, those questions at the end are worth the whole time uh, with you, James, thank you so much (laughs) for for coming on here and spending some time with us. Oh, thank y'all for inviting me. And I love what y'all are doing for these pastors, man. I, I'd rather have them listen to these podcasts and get some tools and just have to wait till they get into a bad spot and have to be in my office. But I, I welcome in my office too, though. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.